Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. I'm so glad to be back with you guys this week as we continue our series on Decoding Our Distress. You know, if you have just jumped onto this episode, the last few weeks we have been exploring different feelings such as fear and doubt, guilt and shame. And today we are going to discuss the feelings of anger and resentment. Now, we all get angry, although maybe some of us don't necessarily recognize it, or maybe some of us feel the need to deny it. Yet the feelings associated with anger are part of the human experience. You know, oftentimes in the therapy space, I often see how anger causes a significant level of distress. There is a polarization within this emotional spectrum. Either we are controlled by our anger, allowing it to destroy and consume us, or we attempt to suppress it completely for the sake of respectability or our Christian identity, denying violations and injustices we experience. That I think we learn on either end of this continuum that anger is not stagnant. If not acknowledged carefully and resolved, it will grow into resentment, which holds our hearts captive, impacting our relationships with God and with others. So today I want to explore the feelings of anger and resentment in its many forms so that we can better grasp their significance, 
learn what it's trying to say to us, and help us reduce the consequences of uncontrolled or unexpressed anger. So let's start with seeing the significance of anger. For most of us, anger is not a hard emotion to spot when it's not disguised, right? I assume we all have experienced firsthand the consuming power of anger, whether towards another or inflicted upon us. Maybe you know this sensation all too well. Some feel it in their hands, others in their face, or even their chest. The energy of frustration is not just a biological response to danger, like our fight response we talked about in an earlier episode, but it also is a protective emotion of sorts. I like to say that anger is like armor. It's powerful and assertive and vital in some ways to protecting our sense of self. In therapy, it's often said that anger is a secondary emotion. And this is very true in, in many cases because it often acts in response to a deeper displaced emotion, such as fear, anxiety, guilt, or shame. But when you think about it, um, anger is an easier emotion to express. And oftentimes it feels a lot more powerful than those other emotions. Think about the last time that you got angry. Ask yourself how anger might have been protecting you. Anger often tells us something. And if left unattended, it can turn the heart hard. In addition to this significance, something I have found so interesting in my study on anger is that modern psychology tends to promote the idea that anger is always a symptom of a deeper emotional issue. Therefore, it is best to focus our attention on its function rather than the presence of it itself. Although in many cases this is true, we see how scripture provides a wider explanation for anger not just as a secondary emotion, but it also invites us to address the experience of anger itself as a problem in many cases. You know, Dick Keyes explains that often the Bible sees anger not merely as a symptom of need, but also as a sufficiently basic problem to be confronted in its own right. I like to think of anger also as a warning signal. It tells us when something is wrong. Thus, anger can be seen both as reactive and protective. It can be triggered by emotions and it can trigger our emotions, right? Have you ever been angry and then felt guilty or anxious about that anger? And vice versa, we could say when we're anxious or fearful, we can become angry about that emotion. So the challenge is not isolating it as separate from other parts of our lives, but also addressing it so that it does not cause destruction if left undealt with. I tend to see two extreme ways that people handle their anger. One is uncontrolled expression. We get angry and we lose it, right? This can be seen in violence in our societies um, with physical and verbal altercations. We have this heightened response to agitation. And then we also have this other extreme, which is a denial uh, for the sake oftentimes of image. And this can be seen as passivity or nothing bothers us. Um, I think it's interesting when, when clients will say, you know, oh no, it's okay. They didn't mean it frequently or when there's a severe injustice in their lives. And it always tends to fall into a category of feeling like if I have anger towards something or someone, then I'm not a good person. And so to be able to balance the two, we have to deny our anger for the sake of this image of being a good person. But either of these methods can cause continued distress and they lead to damages within our relationships and our self-image. 
Yet, what if anger was telling us something really important? What if we started asking ourselves what the reasons were for our anger? You know, oftentimes expectations are what fuels our frustration. And so when we get angry, it's oftentimes there's a misplaced expectation or someone hasn't followed through on something they've committed to. In contrast, though, we also see that frustration and anger and even resentment can come out of our values or be motivated by our passion for certain things like justice or compassion or grace. So if anger is intrinsically part of the human experience and human nature, then it must also somehow connect us to God, too. This is where I find the connection between the emotion of anger and its soul aspect. You know, scripture talks extensively about anger, both as a divine aspect of God's express nature and also as a problem of sin and foolishness in the human heart, which is confusing, isn't it? So how do we differentiate these two sides of anger? The Bible gives us a powerful perspective on anger that I think sometimes Christian culture just overlooks for the sake of image. Yet in doing so, we have lost the proper place for anger and its divine nature. God expresses anger. We see how his anger throughout the Old Testament is founded on his holiness and justice. This is the big difference between our expression in today's culture and God's good character that provoked his anger towards evil, oppression, and idolatry. In the New Testament, we also read of Jesus' expression of anger. In Matthew 21, he is response to the misuse of the temple. And then to the Pharisees who did not have compassion for the man with the withered hand. Restraint, measurement, and restoration are all aspects of God's anger. And I love these because God's anger speaks to a feeling God and also a father who deeply cares for his children and desires them to turn from evil, which he cannot overlook. This biblical framework is where we have to start when it comes to understanding both the soul aspect of our feelings of anger and the continuum of resentment and bitterness and sin and how we are to explore and resolve these feelings. One of the most popular verses on anger, I think, is found in Ephesians 4. The Apostle Paul gives instructions to believers in this passage. And first, he talks about this idea of this new self. He says, you were taught with regards to the former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to be put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the sole aspect of our divine nature. And this newness of life, this new self, our true self, I would say, that is made to be created like God, is then told to put off falsehoods and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Paul continues to say, for we are all members of one body, And then in verse 26, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, this verse has so many incredible aspects to it. When we think about and want to understand anger in its proper place in our expression. And what I think is so interesting is that right after making this bold statement about having a new self, 
created to be like God through Christ, right? We are then told to be honest and truthful. And I think this is interesting in its connection to anger because then he says, in your anger, do not sin. And I think this is also an important aspect because our anger oftentimes unexpressed can turn into sin. And this is why anger needs to have a shelf life. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So anger, when experienced, needs to be expressed quickly. What I think is so interesting about this is that this passage in your anger, do not sin is also taken from Psalm four where David writes, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So here we have a really interesting collaboration and connection between Old and New Testament and how to deal with our anger. First, when we experience anger, to not sin, we need to do two things. One, take a minute, ponder your own heart on your bed and be silent. And then do not let the sun go down on your anger, because in doing so, we allow the devil to have a foothold, right? That root of bitterness that we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, it's clear that scripture talks about unrighteous anger, this other side of this continuum, and it labels it oftentimes as foolishness. Not that it doesn't matter or that it's not felt, but that anger fueled by self-willed and rooted in pride is a large cause of destruction to oneself and their relationships. You know, Proverbs fourteen seventeen it says a quick tempered man or woman acts foolishly. And a man of wicked intentions is hated. In Proverbs fifteen eighteen, it says, A wrathful man stirs up discord, but one slow to anger calms strife. You see, in these passages, the unrighteous anger or foolish anger is focused on the way we handle it, right? Quick temperedness or wrathful when we're focused on selfish ambition or rooted in revenge or seeking to right a wrong on our own will. Yet anger that is considered righteous focuses on the wrongness of evil and the brokenness of the world. When injustice is experienced or witnessed, we are to be drawn towards anger and outrage of the reality of it. This is where we can develop our awareness of righteous anger and allow it to motivate us to be part of constructive and needed change. One that is not self-focused or self-protective, but grounded in our new nature in courage and compassion in the goodness of God. And so how do we become people shaped by righteous anger that reflects God's character? Dick Keyes, who I mentioned earlier, provides an incredible explanation in his book about evaluating our anger to help us understand our experiences and also surrender our will to God's way. And so let's walk through them quickly. Number one, cause. What is our anger saying? When we think about it this way, what or who is triggering my anger? Is it a legitimate injustice or my wounded pride? <laughs> I like to think of the passage in the book of Jonah where Jonah was displeased when Nineveh was restored and he prays that God would kill him. I don't know if you know the story, but he's pretty upset that, that God had compassion for these people. And the Lord responds to him 
and says, do you well to be angry? And I think it's such a great question that the Lord asks him that is it really doing us any good to be angry about certain things? No, we can have legitimate reasons to be angry, injustice and abuse and negligence and oppression. And there can also be reasons much more for my own experience rooted in pride and rooted in selfishness that can create more anger in me. So we have to ask ourselves first, what is the cause? Is this legitimate or is this something that I need to work out in my own heart? And something to note here is that we are not passive in our causation of anger, right? But we're asking ourselves, let's check in first. Let's go back to Psalm 4, sit on our beds for a minute, check our own hearts, and then maybe we need to have a conversation with someone. But we really need to check in first. And then, number two, we need to assess the quality of our anger, the nature of the feeling. So we can see it in one of two ways. One is motivated for constructive change, and the other is often focused on revenge of the other person or the situation. So what are you focused on? In Ephesians 4, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, but be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another just as Christ forgave you. This is hard. I don't know if you've ever had to forgive someone who has deeply wronged or hurt you, but from my own experience and from the many brave men and women that I've worked with that have had to do this soul work, forgiveness is challenging. One of the things that I think is so powerful that Keyes also mentions in this chapter on anger that he writes He talks about how non-forgiveness is synonymous with holding resentment. And this is on the far right side of the continuum of anger spectrum. Resentment is what the writer of Hebrews calls a root of bitterness. And he says in chapter 12, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see God. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled. And so going back to our premise of anger, this this two-sided this two-sidedness of anger where on one side we can acknowledge that anger is a true and valid emotion when wronged. And it is also our responsibility to address that anger quickly and in a God-fearing manner. And so how do we do this? Well, oftentimes when we assess the quality, right, then we have to move to number three, the expression. What are we going to choose to do with this anger? Someone has caused the anger or maybe someone has triggered the anger in us, but then it is our job to assess the cause, the quality, and the expression. And so it says in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If we can acknowledge that holding on to anger, holding on to offenses is something that God does not want for us. He knows and sees that it truly destroys our hearts and creates barriers for meeting and reconciling. In Colossians 3, 12 through 14, Paul gives this invitation to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you so that you also must forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And this is our new nature, imaging our creator as loving and compassionate and also forgiving when acknowledging offenses is necessary. You know, the biblical approach to anger is always positive. And I think sometimes we get this backwards. We think, okay, I just can't be angry anymore and I have to just always be loving. But that's a very simple and narrow view of, I think, a gospel message. It's being honest, but being honest in a real and authentic way that promotes a formation of peace and kindness and humility. You know, there's something beautiful about forgiveness that I think maybe we don't recognize often is that forgiveness can go two ways, right? We can offer forgiveness to someone who has offended us, go to them and share, hey, you've offended me and I'm angry about it. And the other thing that we can do is we can ask for forgiveness when we have held on to bitterness. And so, so many times I've had to go to people in my life and say, hey, I'm sorry because I haven't been maybe honest with what's going on inside of me and I've been angry or I've been holding some bitterness towards you that I need to repent of or I need to confess to you so that I can restore my relationship with you and be on the same page as you. And those are hard conversations, but they produce such fruit of righteousness because what anger often desires is something much deeper than just getting our own way. It can move us towards unity and it can move us towards a reconciliation of connection. And so I think this is God's invitation for us is to understand that anger is a necessary emotion in response to injustice. And he then equips us both with the spirit and with his word in order to acknowledge the cause, acknowledge the quality of the anger that we experience, and then steward well the expression of that emotion. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliam.com. There's no better way to start your day than spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Don't know where to start? We have a free daily prayer podcast created to help you do just that. The Your Daily Prayer podcast delivers a thoughtful, devotional, and timely prayer to you seven days a week. Gain inspiration, faith, and encouragement with daily messages in 10 minutes or less. To start listening now, search Your Daily Prayer on your favorite podcast app or visit lifeaudio.com.